0: Okay, so the shift which takes place is, for some of us, at least if you're looking forward, was unpredictable and and I don't want to use the word dramatic, but but it's just so totally different from everything we've been doing till this point in the Torah that you kind of ask yourself. You kind of have to ask yourself, so how did we get here or what are we doing here and and, and what is going on? On the other hand, if you start to look backwards, then maybe it's not as strange as, again, on some level one could uh, formulate it and maybe things are a little bit clearer. So what I'm going to do today is is essentially the same thing that I do always – and that is take two things that we don't understand and claim that one answers the other. But this time we're going to do it to a whole other level because I'm going to take like a whole bunch of things we don't understand and then claim that they're all connected to one another and that, uh, and that this is this whole realm which really makes perfect sense. So l- let's begin in the beginning, which is source number one, which of course is not the very beginning of the parasha, but is where the whole beginning is leading towards. And it says, which means, why is it that you take truma, and zahav, uh, a and I mean, what, what is the need for all of these raw materials and these things? Why? Ultimately, why? Because it says, v'asuli mikdash vishachanti v'tocham. That what is the reason is because you're going to be making a mikdash. Now, the concept of a mikdash, the word mikdash, the idea of a mishkan, all of these things are to a certain extent foreign to us. Again, till, till this point, it, it, it's something which we would not have necessarily have predicted. And part of what I want to try to think about will be the very concept of something which is holy. Again, if we follow the Rashi in the beginning of Kadoshim, that Kadoshim to you, Purushim to you, is that holiness means separateness, means something which is different, something which is set off. On the other hand, I don't think I can get really to a definition of something which is holy without having God in the sentence which means there has to be something godliness about something which is holy, and at least from our perspective. And therefore, even here, v'asuli mikdash, God is speaking, make for me a mikdash Vishakhanti b'tocham. So the whole idea that God's shechina can somehow rest in a place, So that's what I said, is that we're dealing with things that we really can't properly understand. But we use a word or a concept which I think all of us know, I, I think all of us know, that we can't be taking it overly literally, and that word is heaven, which means, where is God? So now, okay, God is everywhere, right? So where is God? Oh, God is in heaven. What Meaning, where is heaven? And You know, again, some of us are aware that the same way that if you go up in a plane or you go up in a spaceship... You you should not expect to see God in the same sense that if you do surgery on somebody, you shouldn't expect to see the soul because when you're dealing with spiritual constructs, so then they operate in different kinds of dimensions and the kind of a dimension that something which is spiritual operates in is not necessarily a dimension which we can easily understand. Forget about even being able to quantify, qualify. It's something which is outside of our realm, so therefore this requires from us, you know, every step that we take now moving forward requires from us uh, humility and requires, you know, taking very small steps and trying to understand what it is, which is taking place. But again, we're talking about somehow, some type of an interaction with the divine. And again, that's that first post. And I can then say, so what in the world does any of that mean for us in a practical level? So that's why I'm saying it's, uh, it's not going to be all that simple. But once again, God is is asking, commanding us to do something And again, I I can use words, I can put sentences together, I can say things that we can even imagine make some sense, but we still have to recognize that there's something over here, which is we're dealing with a completely different realm, which is beyond us. So essentially God is saying to us who live and abide in this physical world, somehow make room for something which is spiritual. Now what happens when we do that? You know, What is the nature of this place, this thing? Is it, uh, you know, ex-territoria, which means, you know, this is God's embassy, as it were, over here? Do the rules of heaven apply? And now even my use of the word heaven, that's what I started to say before. It's not necessarily something which is uh, higher up on top of us, even though we use certain metaphors. And then to what extent are the metaphors that we use representative of something which deals with reality or or? metaphors that deal with something to acknowledge it's beyond us, it's above us, it's something which we really can't properly uh, understand. The second Pasuk, that everything that I'm going to show you, that's what you need to do. Now the other thing that we need to pay attention to is to what extent is the beginning of chapter 25, Separated from the end of chapter twenty-four, because the end of chapter twenty-four, or, or let's put it a little differently, chapter twenty-four ends with Moshe going up the mountain or going. Now, now again, if I would have said, "Oh, Moshe goes up to heaven," you would have said, "Oh, yeah, that's okay." If I go, Moshe goes up the mountain, you would have said, "Okay." And to what extent am I even correct in saying this—that oh, the mountain and the heaven—because again, both of them are dealing about something which is going up. So so is is this literal? Is it a metaphor? Well, he's going up the mountain, but what happens when he gets to the summit of the mountain? What exactly is there? Is it just a mountaintop or is it something else? So so we'll keep that in mind. We'll see a little bit more about that in a moment. But when we continue... But the the important thing over here is that Moshe visualizes something and he's told that what it is that you're going to make is going to be based upon that visualization. Source number two is later on in the same chapter... And here it's talking about the making of the menorah. Asita et nerateh shivah veheila et nerateh va'ir al ever paneho umel kachel umachtuteh zahav tahir kikar zahav tahir yase et kol akilime ele urei vaase. Again, the visualization: you're going to see this, and then you're going to do it. Betavni tam asher ata mara that which you see. And this is betavni tam, right? Something which is. It sounds as as if it were physical, but I don't know how I can talk about something which is spiritual, which is physical, because I understand when the physical is done, when the spiritual is done on this world, there's a physical body to it, but I I know I'm talking too much, but maybe even your understanding what I'm saying is, what in the world is going on? Because in in both of these descriptions now, in terms of the whole general thing, and now regarding the meaning the whole general thing which will be built, which will be the Mishkan, it's as you know you're going to see. There's going to be a visualization. And regarding the various things inside, it's going to be based upon this visualization that you're going to see on the mountain, right? Up up on the mountain, something's going to be seen. If you're not convinced after two of these examples, look at source number three. And this is still in this week's parashah in Perak Kavchet. the Briach HaTichon, Bakrashim and so on. Zahav, again. V'hakimota et HaMishkan, kimishpato asher haraita bahar as you've seen on the mountain, which all of this should lead us to a simple question. So what exactly is Moshe seeing on the mountain? So did God, I mean, does God know how to make holograms? Okay, that's, I guess that was a bad question, which, which means what exactly is Moshe saying when he's there? Because I, I understand the practical side of all of this, that you can have an architect who's going to give you all of the dimensions of what should be built, but it makes it much easier if you make a model of it and then you have the model and then the dimensions and now you know that this is what I'm building, right, the the model, and these are the dimensions that that model is going to be and all that makes perfect sense and, I'm saying that's why all of this is so simple except for one thing. What is it that Moshe is constantly seeing over here? And again, I could show you commentaries that say that, okay, that's exactly what Petzalel does, that Moshe shares with Petzalel the dimensions and shares with him what it is that that he sees. He shares somehow that visual, but we'll, we'll, we'll pause it there. So again, I just hope that you now understand that these various examples, right? And there are four of them over here, All of them are pointing in the same direction that going up above then generates some kind of a visual which then somehow is going to be concretized down here below, but what is down here below is in some sense connected to what exists above. Now, all of that I really hope makes sense and all that I'm going to do the rest of the time that we have today is saying the same thing again and again and again and just... Trying to make it a little bit more convincing as we move on. Now, what I'd said a couple moments ago was that it would seem quite natural to move from the end of last week's parsha and then just see how it flows into the beginning of this week's parsha. So, the end of last week's parsha, of course, is chapter 24, Parak of it, among the various things that happen, Talit, I'm not doing everything. I'm starting deliberately on Pasuk Tet in source number five. Vaya'al, so, so right there, I want to pause a second. The word Vaya'al, what does it mean? It means to go up. Vaya'al. So right over here again, we have some kind of a vertical movement that's important because everything till now has been about this vertical connection. So Vaya'al Mosheva Aru. another view vishiv mizik Yisrael. So aside from just Moshe going up, we have now a whole contingent who are going up the year, ooh, and now again, they have a vision, which means at the time that this happened, I don't think any of us, right, end of last week's parasha, I don't think any of us, we we get to this point here and say, oh, that's so interesting, because this is really preparing us for what's going to happen in next week's parasha. So I'm going to say it again. We didn't see next week's parasha coming, or that's this week's by this point. We didn't see that coming, but now just look what's taking place over here. Look what's taking place over here. You have some kind of a going up. You then have a vision. So let's read the vision now a little bit more carefully. Vayiru et Elokei Yisrael... I don't know what that means. That's what I told you. I'm just going to keep on throwing in things. That I have no idea what they mean. What does it mean that they somehow have this appreciation of seeing something of seeing a God who's non-physical? So what is it they say? So I'm not going to insult you and try to translate that into English because what difference is it going to make? Because it, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. Because he, because even if I put it into words those words are not going to encapsulate what it is that they actually saw. They saw something which was divine. They saw something which was enlightening. They saw something which was spiritually uplifting. Do you? Want, what else do you want me to say? Okay, I, I could really translate all those words. I just don't know what it means. No. Because then you'll think you understand it. No, I'm saying that's the problem. You want there's a sapphire over here. The, the, right? Okay, no, no, now you got it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's why I don't want to translate it. <laughs> T- to the very depths of heaven, the purity of the depths of I don't know what those words mean. Yes, I can try to translate them. But I just don't know what it means, but I do know something. I know that they climb the mountain and they have a vision. And then it continues. <laughs> And and there's so many commentaries on what happened there that God does not strike the the princes of Israel, as it were, and they see God and they eat and they drink. And, and by the way, there's so many... Some commentaries know they didn't they drink. They got sated as if they'd eaten and drink because they got sated from the spiritual and therefore they were completely... They, they had no more needs at that moment because every need that they possibly had was filled because of the spiritual experience they just now had. So I'm going to say it again. I can read all these words for you. I just don't have... Any idea what any of it means? But I want to continue. So now we're going further. So Moshe separate from those who've already climbed somewhat up. Now you're going to continue going up the mountain. And then you are going to receive something which is quite divine. Right? What is it? It's the luchot. You're going to receive... Again, you could just say it's rocks. It's not just rocks. You can say just stone. It's not just stone. It's stone, which has the word of God engraved in it. Again, you notice all the vayals that have been over here. And Moshe goes up. He goes up, El to the mountain of God. You wait until we return. And Aaron and Hur will be there with you, And if any issues may come up, go talk to them. Okay, so we're not going there right now. Moshe el Again, Again, we, we keep having going up. We keep, we keep, again, that's part of what I wanted to point out, is that this idea of climbing and going and moving is constantly here. Moshe el anan et-ha'har. And a cloud encompasses the mountain. Vayishkan that's such an interesting word, vayishkan because what does vayishkan mean over here? vayishkan k'vod Hashem al the shechina descends, or Vayishkan k'vod Hashem, the glory of God comes down on the mountain. But now you're going to find out that in a couple of verses from now, we're going to be told... And you're going to be told, Vasuli Mikdash, Shachanti Bittocham. And again, I'm just going to ask, and then he's going to be told, and how do you do it? All the things that you're seeing on the mountain. So where's Moshe? Moshe is presumably up on the mountain. And what is Moshe seeing when he's up on the mountain? Moshe is seeing the Shechina, the Kvot Hashem. Now, I'll say it again. Do I understand any of the words that I'm saying to a certain extent? Do I have any idea what this is that he's saying? Clearly, no. So we proceed with caution. Yes? The cloud descends for six days. And then on the seventh day is when the spiritual takes place. By the way, that's really interesting because one of the only things that we know about heaven till this point is that there is a mun factory in the heaven, that works for six days of the week and doesn't work on the seventh day. And over here, for six days of the week, there's silence, but then the spiritual conversation takes place on the seventh day. So again, that, again, I don't know what day of the week this is, but I'm going to say it again, that that's, that's interesting that you have the six days of, uh, it's almost like the six days of rest, or it's really the six days of preparation, and then you're up to the seventh day. So maybe that's really what we do all week. It's six days of preparation, and then we can get to that seventh day of the spiritual experience. Um, continue. Umar ek, Vod Hashem. So he sees something. There's a vision. Should I, should I repeat myself and say this again? I'm going to. That while we were reading all of this last week, I don't think any of us were thinking, oh, Look at this. This is all preparation for what's going to come next. But now, when you look backwards, did I kind of convince you that maybe this is where we should be paying attention? Because it's, it it constantly deals with up on the mountain visions of something taking place. Let's read this passage. Even from below, the people see something, and there is some kind of uh, of an epiphany. Moshe goes to the mountain. Once again, the word, So you have to again ask, how many times did we just now have Vayal? How much climbing is over here taking place? And Moshe was there for 40 days and 40 nights. Good? Everything now is perfectly clear? Right? The Mishkan, you anticipated the Mishkan? The Mishkan. The Mishkan you didn't anticipate. All that you anticipated till now is that Moshe doesn't come down with the Luchot. That, that's that's you had no reason to to look for anything else. My point is now when you go backwards, all of those times that it speaks about oh and this is what you you're going to build those like you saw on the mountain, like you saw on the mountain, like you saw on the mountain. So now you say, hold it. Now Moshe must have seen some things on the mountain. Where do we ever see the Moshe's saw things on the mountain? Well, constantly saying that there is things which are being revealed over there on the mountain. G- g- give me a couple of minutes. I'm going to try to make a little bit more. I'm unaccustomed for somebody saying, "Excuse me for interrupting." I don't know where I am. <laughs> Even with Rashi, we need to be, we need to be very, very careful. But let's but let's just say for now. So yes, I'm am guilty of reading this as the Ramban would like us to read it. Essentially, say yeah. Read the next pasuk as if the previous one came before it. Guilty, <laughs> right? And, and and but we also notice something else. Is, forget about that. This is a direct sequence thematically, this flows very, very nicely. You put it in water, they stop. <laughs> okay, no, but my, but my point is that not only sequentially does this come immediately afterwards, which, which is mostly what the Ramban is saying, the Ramban also, and he says it black and white, he says thematically it's the same idea. Yes, I just now showed you why you should believe what the Ramban said, although I even didn't even show you all of his evidence. He's much more concerned at the very end of the, of the book, the very end of Shmot. Uh, end of Pakuday where the verses are almost identical, but I'm just showing you, just following the flow. Oh, yeah, th- this makes a great deal of sense. Let's continue. I also want to note, because I didn't get t- to the point that I really want to say it, but l- let's say it already. We'll get it out of the way. Apparently, I'm, I'm just connecting the dots now. Apparently, when Moshe is up in heaven, he sees the Beit HaMikdash. Apparently, he sees the Beit HaMikdash, he sees all the Kaelin. I'm just pointing out that there's a turn of phrase that comes up in Mamidbar, which obviously may not be connected whatsoever. But just thinking in terms of this juxtaposition makes it a little more interesting, and that's in source number six. This is in the end of Parshat Balotcha. Here, there's also some kind of an, of an epiphany. This is when they're saying about Moshe, right? Where his siblings are teaming up against him. Which means, no, your quality of vision is not... So what's interesting here is there were these 70 prophets at this point and they too say, oh, no, we're prophets as well. And mm-hmm. God says, no. You, your eyes, no, spiritual eyes, have not seen what Moshe has seen. And I, I'm so intrigued with Pesach Zayin now, again, through this particular connection. Lo Kain avdi Moshe Bechol Just that turn of phrase, beiti. Why well, use the word bayit over here? And I'll say, see, when we started today, we were talking about Vasudi Mikash v'shechati b'tocham, that you're going to make a mish. Mishkan, down below, and, and I will dwell within it. And now we have a verse that we completely ignored. We never asked ourselves, why is that word being used over here? Which is a description of, when, it's a description, oh, Moshe, yeah, he's, he's like a Ben Bayit by me in, uh, in my house. Well, where? Well, it's talking exactly about Moshe's greater ability of having a prophetic experience. Well, when was Moshe's greatest ability of a, of a prophetic experience? And that would be when Moshe goes up above. And again, I'm just pointing out now, Wow, the word beti was used in that particular context. That is interesting, but as I said, I told you from the beginning, I'm just taking everything we don't understand and kind of throwing it together and saying that they're all connected. Good. In source number seven is obvious the, ob- obviously, obviously the place where all of this begins, Because maybe we didn't pay attention enough, but we're going to get to, again, a really clear point as we continue. This is when Yaakov, and maybe it's significant when Yaakov is running away, when Yaakov is about to leave the land of Israel, that something takes place, which says means he davened in that place, that's where we get the Yaakov davined in that so, maybe during daviding, something actually was triggered. But then he goes to sleep. Which is also interesting. He takes from the stones and he builds something, which we all would have ignored, but he builds something to sleep. Now, once again, we'll point out the word Sulam is a word that we don't know what it means because it's only used once in the entire text. We imagine it means a ladder and presumably it's some kind of a connection between heaven and earth. By the way, pause right there. That's really interesting because any, any connection between heaven and earth is interesting. Chazal already pointed out that Sulam and Sinai have the same gematria and that's one of the few gematrias which are pointed out by Chazal. They're telling you, oh, here are both places. It's not just the numbers. It's here are places where heaven and earth somehow get connected. Because, again, God comes down on Sinai. By Sinai, Moshe goes up. Here is, a, By the way, think now again that angels go up and down. Who's the angels? By the way, there's one Midrash. Is, oh, the angel? That's Aaron, the Kohen, going up the ramp to the Mizbeach, which just then connected the Sulam to the Beit HaMikdash. Well, why? Why would you connect that? Why would you say it's the ramp? Or now I can say, oh, that's the ability of Moshe to go up. Oh, you, I know, you think it sort of said angels, but what's an angel? What's, what exactly? An, an, an emissary of God. A Kohen is an emissary. Well, who's a Kohen? Is a Cohen in the Gemara? Is a Kohen an emissary of God? Or is he an emissary of Amisrael? And the Gemara answers yes. That, that, that's the answer of, of the Gemara. Is Moshe an emissary of God? Or is he an emissary of the people? Which would, right, and again, you could say yes. Mo, is Moshe a Shliach for God to bring the Torah down? Or is he a Shliach from the people to receive the Torah? So again, you realize that there's re, a, a really interesting. Connection over here, but we didn't even start it yet. All that we got to was the Sulam, and it says it's mutzav artsa, it's connected it to the ground. So again, we get to heaven. Now, Shemaim, does Shemaim literally mean the stratosphere, or we're dealing with the spiritual construct? Are angels going up, hanging out outside, you no, know, where planes are, with all of the planes driving by at that point, flying by? Would well, they all have seen? the angels, or we're dealing with a different kind of construct. Ah, so that's again going to be our problem, is that then God is on top of this. I don't want to just skip over the blessings. We love the blessings. Yes, you're going to exile, you're going to become incredibly numerous, and you're going to come back home. Okay. Yes, that is a part of our story. That's a part of the story of the Jewish people. Yaakov wakes up. Bayomar he says, God is in this place. The word makom is probably something which you pay attention to. Sometimes God is called Hamakom, and that's also interesting. But he was filled with awe. how awesome is this place. So he just now said it. He goes, Oh part of his epiphany is that he comes to this realization that this is the Beit Elokim, which means here we see the concept of a Beit Elokim, Vizer Shara shamayim. And what in the world does that mean, This is the gates of heaven, so give me a couple seconds. And he takes I told you, he already built something there with the rock. Now he takes it, and he builds some kind of a Matseva memorial, perhaps. But you sheman al-Rosha and he pours oil, which is anointing. Right? What is Mashiach? Is that you pour oil, you anoint. This is the house of God. Luz, it would once been called But there. Yaakov makes a vow, That if I really truly come back, then he says, then this whole enterprise of building a house for God, of somehow the ladder which connects heaven and earth or earth, earth and heaven, somehow that's going to be manifest. Now, the reason I mention all of this is, oh, look at this. The Mishkan should not have come as a surprise. Yaakov made a nedr a long time ago. To build a house for God should not have been a surprise. This is not a totally alien concept that only takes place because that we made an eagle at some point, no, it's something which was in Yaakov's spiritual consciousness long, long before that. But it's Rashi in source number eight, which is the real reason that we're here. Rashi notes, vize shar hashamayim, mokum tefila la'alot tam this is the place that the tefillot go up. And that is so interesting. Because again, God is not a physical construct and heaven is not necessarily physical. But, but he's, he discerns, again, the ladder and, and the, again, the malachim going up and coming down, that this is the place that things go up. And then Rashi continues and he says, and he says, that is pshat. Zeshar Hashemayim. u and I'm going to, we're going to be a little careful as we proceed over here. To what extent does Rashi take this midrash as pshat as well? Right over here, I admit that he just says umidrasho, but umidrasho doesn't necessarily mean that he thinks that this is just some other kind of concept. Question is: Is this the pshat in this pasuk? Umidrasho shebeita mikdash mikdash that there is a heavenly beita mikdash and there is an earthly Beit HaMikdash, and now we have to ask ourselves all over again, so what did Yaakov see? When Yaakov looks up and he sees something, and then he concludes, oh, I need to build the Beit HaMikdash down over here, what gave him that idea? Which means, does Yaakov below, or maybe there's some kind of an ascension of Yaakov as well, during this experience, somehow Yaakov may have gone through an experience which is remarkably similar to the experience that Moshe goes through, where Moshe sees the various ke- first, he sees the Mishkan, he sees the kelim, and therefore he knows how to do it. Does Yaakov see something, and now he knows he has to do it? Which means, yes, I took a difficult dream of Yaakov, I took a difficult verse with Moshe, and what am I claiming? Yeah, these are connected. But you know why I'm claiming that they're connected? Why? Because they're connected, yeah. and uh, because they're connected, and, and and Rashi helped us a lot. We're going to take a little bit of a, of a detour, which is not a detour, which will actually see where some of this is part of the halachic reality that we deal with. Correct? 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 We, we, which, which, if I had time, I would have dealt with that as well, but we, we don't. Yes, correct. In source number nine, we have a Mishnah in Mesechet Brachot. The Mishnah begins, Khamur, <laughs> you're riding along on your donkey, don't have any messianic, uh, you know, declarations because of this. And and it comes time to Daven. You should come down. So let's just pause there for a moment. First of all, all the people... Who, uh, when mincha time comes, stop on. You can get mini, you can get a minion, by the way, on some of the roads in Israel. That mincha time comes, people all getting off onto the side of the roads. It's extremely dangerous, and uh, they're better off davening later in a safe place. They're better off not getting out of the car. They're better off pulling over in a place which is actually safe. And uh, if you want, I'll say clearly, it's usher to daven in a place that your life is in danger and you're and, and you're putting yourself in danger. It's just not allowed. Which, which right. I know it's right. I'm a rabbi. <laughs> it's, it's right. But, but, but look how interesting this is. And by the way, if you want to extrapolate from here, if you were on a plane, should you gather a bunch of people and make a minion and bother all the other people? You have no right to do it. It's, it is literally a mitzvah, mm-hmm. it's something which is absolutely not allowed. And what do you do? You sit in your seat. But what if you're not facing the right way? Can we read this Mishnah again? This is a Mishnah. What do the Mishnah say that you do? <laughs> right? It could be a 747 or whatever they have today, an Airbus or whatever they have today. If you can't, get off the plane. Okay, you can't. Continue. panav. Now that's interesting. What does that mean, Panav? libo Now this turn of phrase, libo, is that a physical or is that a spiritual construct? It sounds to me very, very spiritual. Which, which kind of like you close your eyes and ychave libo and your your orientation, your your focus is, is as if you're standing outside of the Beit Kodosh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies. HaYoshev bisfina or Ba'asada, which is a small boat, Yechavein Libo, K'neged Kodosh And again, various places, what do you do? You you focus on the Kodach HaKadoshim. Now, let's look at the way that the Talmud Bavli then unpacks all of this. Summa, somebody who's blind, so or somebody doesn't know the direction. Now that's interesting because we weren't clear if the Mishnah ever mentioned directionality as much as it mentioned spirituality. Do the is did the Mishnah say you need to face that place, or the mission needs you need to focus on that place? So over here it says if you're blind or you don't know which direction you're in. Right? So what do you do? You Khaven Aviv Then you focus your heart. Which really means your your mind, your spirituality. You focus it on Avinu Shabbat where, where is that? Well, Shabbat Shammayim. Where is Shemayim? Well, now we get stuck again. Sheneamar and so on and so forth. You know what's really interesting here? It didn't necessarily say, I know that Rishonim can say that, that's what it means, but it didn't necessarily say that you need to face that direction. Rather, what did it say? Yechavein at libo, k'negein eretz Yisrael, and so on. Yechavein libo, right? If you are yaomid beretz Yisrael, yechavein at libo, k'negein Now, one of the reasons to argue that it really does mean directionality is it should have been the same in all the situations. It should have always been you just focus on God. Why in Israel you focus on Yushalayim, Yushalayim you focus there so it does sound like there is some kind of direction as well. So I know why people can claim that that's what it means and I'm not discounting at all I'm just saying is that the term here is actually much more interesting. ha omid be-beit Kodoshih HaKadoshim y'chavin et libo kenegit beit ha-kaporet. Ha-ya-omid ha-charii beit ha-kaporet yireh atzmo ke'ilu kaporet Nimtza omidu mizrach machzir panav la-marav marav machzir panav mizrach bederom machzir panav la-tsafon bit-tsafon machzir panav la-derom nimtzu kol Yisrael machavnin et libam lemakom echad. That all Jews are focusing on one place and I'll say it again is this a physical place, a spiritual place? So we'll leave that. What's the verse that supports this? Tal call a Tal is, a, yeah, a tel, which is a mound where all of our prayers are focused on that same place. In source number 11, we have the Ushalmi unpacking the same source. Yishalmi here says, Tani it was taught sumo So notice right away above. Right, somebody now this is all physical. But it's much more interesting. Yishalmi clearly says the direction. It didn't say Right, it says. Hofchim et klape The Yerushalmi says where you should be facing. It then continues, Klape And by the way, I would, I would also be willing to say, oh, the Babli and Yushami don't argue. The Yerushalmi is clarifying, and therefore we take the clear Yerushalmi to also explain the the Ba'ali. We're going to skip a little bit and eventually it's going to say, Amir levi, that's the first word of the line, hu shakol ad kadun the idea that you face in that direction when the Beit Mikdash is standing, we understand. But what about when it's destroyed? b'chur b'no Where do you face when there is no Beit HaMikdash, why should we be facing towards Yerushalayim? By the way, if you're going to tell me the Yaakov Sulam, which goes as Shara Shamayim, and that's where, then I understand. But over here it says, but there's no Beit Amitash. What do you do? Amrabi Ibon, now you see that this is the same as the Bavli, to tell Shekolah Piyot and to Pahalim, Allah, it's a place that we constantly refer to in our prayers. Bibracha. That's prayer for Ramadan. Bitfila Yisraelim. B'tfila, Elokei David, Bonei Yisraelim. B'kriyat Shema, Parei Sukah Shalom Yisrael, V'al Yisraelim. By the way, our custom is to say that Friday night. There was actually this is one of the differences between Eretz Yisrael and Chutzlarets. In Chutzlarets, seven days a week they would say Shemor Yisrael La'ad. In Israel, seven days a week they would say. They would say this bracha about Parei Sukah Shalom Aleinu, V'kol Yisrael Yisraelim. Our custom became a compromise that six days of the week we do the physical Shema Yisrael Ad, but on Shabbat we do Min Israel Yisrael and we do what they wouldn't have done all seven days of the week. So I'm saying this This, this is not an accident. Say, oh, that's what we say. And Yushalayim is therefore always mentioned, that there's a higher sense of Yushalayim in Israel. No, maybe we could under, understand that. We'll continue a little bit. Katov Echad Omer el chayav el mekomi va k'tuv omer ve you enable li be shram kol yomim okaysid pon of lema la ve libo lamata ve in lav libo k'neged beit kodesh kadoshim la eza beit kodoshim which is again it goes back to this problem if there's no beit be'machdash what kodesh kadoshim is there ve khirava k'neged kodshei hakadoshim shamala that we still dive in towards the beit be'machdash in heaven so now, I'll explain all this. I just want to go back to the Rashi a second. What did Rashi say? He says that Yaakov realizes that this is the place that links between the Beit HaMikdash Shemala and the Beit HaMikdash Shomata, which the Ushami is telling you is the reality. So when we Davin, where do we face? We face towards the Beit Kadosh Toshim, to the Holy of Holies. Well, which one? The one in heaven, the one on earth? It says it's the same thing because the one in heaven is right located by that same place. Again, how high up, I can't tell you. How high up in heavens, I can't say. And I'm going to admit again, I have no idea how to describe any of this more than what we're reading right here. But nonetheless, th- this, again, if you're wondering how we got here, Moshe is told, build it as you saw on the mountain. Bill saw what he saw on the mountain. So what does Moshe see on the mountain? So I'm saying all these are psukim. You can't really move away. If you want, you can say what I said before. God created a temporary hologram for Moshe to be able to see, and now he knows how to build it. But that's not the way that Chazal are taking it. Chazal are taking this in the sense that, no, there is some kind of a spiritual reality which Moshe is able to discern and able to see and is referenced constantly in terms of when Moshe is down here below, that there is that spiritual experience. Let's take this a little bit more. In source number 12, there's a nice posuk. Source number 12 in parashat mishpatim, hineinu chishleich malach lefanech. So that again is interesting, because we, you know, you have your malach here, l'shemrecha baderech, el hamakom asher hachinoti. To bring you to the place that I prepared. So Rashi here writes, asher hachinoti, asher zimanti letet which I prepared for you. What's the place I prepared? So it's Eretz Yisrael. Generically, generally. Zeu p'shuto. And now Rashi is going to do it again. Umidrasho, But nonetheless, there is a midrash. He goes, This is one of the verses which indicates. So it's interesting because when he said it the first time by the Shara Shamayim, he said, (coughs) As if this is Pshat, this is a midrash. And now you see that Rashi doesn't necessarily think this is no. He thinks that the, there are various psukim which point toward this reality. In source number 14, there's a verse which is not that sim- not that dissimilar to what we just now saw. This is the middle of the shira. To the aim of the har Hashem, mikdash Hashem kononu but now, now you see that that's much clearer. Mikdash Hashem, Konanu Yodecha. Mikdash Hashem is somehow prepared by your... So what does it mean it's prepared? What, what's Again, that, that's what Asher Echinoti in the verse before. So the Rashi here that I'm bringing is a Rashi in the Gemara and Sukkah. It's also Gemara and Rosh Hashanah. Rashi says this. The, the Gemara was discussing about when Mashiach could come and when the Beit HaMikdash is going to be built and which day of the week and, and you know, Issues of Shabbat and Yom Tov and so on, and I'm skipping there in the middle of this Rashi Hanimile Binyan Habanui Bide Adam Avom Mikdash Shatid She Anu Mitsapim Banui Umisuchlalhu Yigalev Yavo Men Hashemayim Sheneamar Mikdash Hashem Konenu Yadecha. So this is phenomenal. It means that during the Shira the people, the people all had this experience. And I want to remind you of something. There is a Michilta that says, that the, and the Ramban quotes the mechilta, that the people experienced it, experienced what even the greatest of prophets like Yechezkel, by the way, it's going to be very important, Yechezkel, you know, it eluded him, but why Yechezkel? And there's also some versions, Yishayahu, Yechezkel, they're both really important in this discussion. What Yechezkel saw, which means, and now you go specifically, what is it the, they saw, right, they say, Zecheli van Vehu, they're pointing a finger. What do they see? Well, just like Moshe goes up and sees something, what it is it they saw? So here you, see, you understand Rashi is saying that they saw the Beta Mikdash above. Now, what's more remarkable about this Rashi is that this is the famous argument, if you're familiar, between Rashi and the Rambam. The Rambam makes it sound that Mashiach is going to have to build the third Beta Mikdash. And Rashi is saying, no, the third Beit HaMittash is just waiting to come down. It's there. Which means that at some point there becomes this, this moment where humanity gets to this point where heaven and earth are much more connected, and that reality which takes place in heaven is able to somehow to be manifest over here below. But even, I, I'll read the Rambam just in a second, because even the Rambam maybe is more interesting than we think. Look at source number 20, and then we'll go backwards a second. Um, Binyan Shab- Rambam Hilchel Beit which means, we don't know exactly what the Beit Shlishi is going to be like, but it's part of the vision of Yecheskel, which is very interesting, because Yecheskel sees the Beit HaMikdash. That, that's part of what Yecheskel sees. He also sees a Merkava. Now, what's the connection between the beginning of Yecheskel, when he's off in Galut, and he sees this Merkava, Right, this chariot, and then later on when he sees dimensions of this Beit HaMikdash, which the Rambam is telling, him, oh, that's the third Beit HaMikdash that he, that he sees. So now if we'll go back a little bit. Underneath source 17, I left out the title. I'd moved it, and then I think I got called away for a second. I didn't put put in the title. I just got messed up. Where it says, Va So that's the kliyakar Sorry, 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 sorry. First, sorry, sorry. Let, let me let me do this. Let me do this. Seventeen. 17. Let's go back to seventeen for one second. Seventeen that we wanted. First, we'll go back to sixteen. Okay. Vayal alav makom. Sorry. Vyal me alev elokim, ba makom asher diber ito. Etzev Yaakov matzev ba Right asher diber ito matzev at Evin v'yisachel of Nesach v'yisachel of Shem and v'yikra Yaakov v'Shem and makom. Asher diber ito sham. elokim Beit El. So that source 16 is when, when Yaakov comes back. When Yaakov comes back, what does he do? He builds this thing. God tells him to build it. Where by Betel, he builds something. He puts up a Matseva, and he said he's going to build the Beit Elokim. Here, he used the word Bamakom. Vayom Bamakom. God went up from this Makom. Rashi writes, Bamakom berito. Rashi tells us, Eini Yodea mam he goes, I don't know what it's coming to teach us. Now, right underneath that, the next line, that's the Kliyakar on the same Pasuk. So, Kliyakar writes, diberito, pirish rashi, enyudea, He says, I don't know what this is actually coming to teach us. The lean era, shabah shahavot heyn heyn kava. Now, I don't know if you know to begin what to do with that the Avot, somehow this spiritual way of connecting to heaven. So he says, I don't know why Rashi says, I don't know what's going on over here. Of course Rashi knows what's going on over here, because the Kliyakar says, I know what's going on over here. And Rashi had already said this previously. So in source 18, the Sif is going to try to explain He's going to say right away. He says that it could be that Rashi's troubled. Why did he need the word Makom multiple times? He's referring to Source 19. Which means your various times that God is above them, that somehow, somehow this idea of aboveness and being connected to heaven is connected to the Avot as well. So how far can we get today? Let's go to the next page. I'm reading over here in the Sefer Tamei Hagin, which is a great book, which explains all kinds of customs. And you see the part in bold where he writes, Mukoblani bimori vizikni whatever, zeich tzadik bal Sefer Yismach Moshe. That's from the title bound. Yismach Moshe, I believe. V'tshuva hi shiv Moshe, ki p'ham echad, shesiyim tefila sh'mon esrei, alam bolit litpaleu ha'davar hanal, ha'amur ba'asera mamarot, that's a Kabbalistic book, Rabbi Menachem Azaria defano, Im l'vavo amar u'lai kaimali sha'ata the l'rot, maybe I'll be able to see it. We're not sure what it is he wants to see, because we skipped everything till now. He said he had a spiritual experience where he had a vision where he saw Eliyahu in heaven. Now, by the way, there's a machlokin, if Eliyahu is a Kohen or not. So Eliyahu dressed as a Kohen, bringing the, the offering. If you look at source number twenty-two, Sefer Tamei Hamin Hagim, same book, where he writes, "Now this part I, I want to explain a little bit better, and then we'll get to an end, and then we'll try to wrap up a little bit. In the Gemara in Minachot." end of Menachot in source 23 we're not going to read the whole thing but it says as follows we'll go a little bit before the part which is bolded So this is one of these sources So this is one of these sources so, or continue, <laughs> So, essentially, we have various authorities telling us that if you study the laws and the ideas behind the Mikdash, it's as if your soul somehow gets above and as if you're actually doing these things. Actually, the part above is stranger. But along the way, he quoted Rav again. Rav learned the same Beit Midrash as Rav Yochanan, a little bit older than Rav Yochanan, and Rav says that Micha'el Sargadol Alav Kurban. So let's look at Tosfot, because Tosfot over here has a tradition, and then we'll also see why this is so relevant. Umicha'el Sargadol Omeru Makriv Alav Kurban. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the Beit, Beit HaMikdash Shamala. So just in case you think you think the Beit HaMikdash Shamala is off in storage, it's like a museum and it's all shut down, got those like uh, felt ropes around it and nobody can go in. No. It's operational. And what happens in it, that inside it, there is an angel. By the way, remember, our angels go up, our angels go down. There's an angel up above and which angel there is? Michael. And what is Michael Saragadol doing? He's, he's bringing offerings. So I'm saying, this, that, that part was the Gemara. Now toastwood. food. Midrashot, Chalukin yesh, mish, sorry midrashot chalukin. There's different midrashim regarding this idea. Yesh misha omer nishmoteim shel tzadikim, ve yesh misha omer kvasim shel esh. Some say that what is he offering to God? He's offering the souls of the righteous, and some say he's offering cattle. Or cattle, he's offering uh, kvasim Kedes, keves, but of fire. Something spiritual. The avoda the ish Israel utfilatam mehirah ba'avatikabel Israel The yesh omrim dekay adel. The shivat ofdal the dvir be'tach be'ishay Yisrael lomatzat He goes. That's all that I found. I can't say anything else. So let me explain to you what it is that he said. He says that we have a tradition that Michael is doing something above. What is he doing? Is it a purely spiritual construct, and therefore it's a spiritual Beit Hamikdash in heaven? Is it a? And by the way, Tosfot also accepts the Rashi's position that this Beit Hamikdash will come down at some point. Is it purely spiritual, or, or is there somehow something more physical connected? The, right. When we say we'd say Hashem right? The ishei Yisrael. So how exactly? that when we say V'yishe'i Yisrael, his question was, how and when do we pause in the prayer itself? Which means that the word Kabel Yisrael, he, what he's asking is, that particular turn of phrase, how do we read it, and what kavanah do we have when we read it? So let, let me read the, the phrase. Ritzay Hashem Ba'amcha Yisrael May God... The word Ritzui actually means, you know, the end of the Haggadah, we have Nirtza. What is Nirtza? It's a prayer that our prayers are accepted. It's a prayer that our Avodah is accepted. After we went through the Shemona Esra and said all the main parts, Ritzay Hashem Elokein Bamcha Yisro Vilatam. Please find Jews and their prayers acceptable. It's a prayer for our prayers. The Heshivet Avodah Ledvir Beitacha. And may you return the service to Ledvir Beitacha, which is the Beit HaMikdash. The So his question is the where, Israel, where does that fit into the sentence? Tamir Mecha. So on the one hand he's saying is that, oh, this is connected to the Beit in Shamala and, and Michal who's bringing. It. on the other hand he says, no, it's the Nishamot of the Tzadikim, which means and again, we'll be very, very practical right now. More than a thousand people were killed. They were killed for a very simple reason because they were Jews. They were killed on what we call Kiddush Hashem. What this Tosfot is saying is that Mikhail stands by the Beit HaMikdash Shomala and he brings Korbanot, which means he brings the... Shall I read the words again? What does he bring to God? He shows them the the souls of the righteous, and he and then he says, "What is the ishe Israel? It's the fire, the burnt Israel, the ishe Israel, which means is it the korbanot of Israel? We don't have korbanot right now." Is it all future-oriented, saying, oh, please build the Beit HaMikdash against him? No, he's saying, no. He's saying, please find favorable, please accept the Korbanot that was already brought, and create an incredible change because of it. Which means he's saying that the Beit HaMikdash shamala is functional, there is a Malach there, and he goes and presents in front of God, Tzadikim, who died, Al-Kiddush Hashem, and I'm adding that, I'm putting that in this context. And he says to God, please accept this and I'll change the world completely. Which means, you know, we started today, and, and I said that the Mishkan is something which is very, very foreign to us. We had along the line this strange thing about the Yavota or the Merkavan. We did not know what to do with this. I will point out that there is an important Ramban, which I skipped. I didn't get to it. I didn't put in the sources. I opened it. and I wasn't sure I going to do it. The Ramban is hard to find. In the old editions, there's an old edition. It's the last paragraph in the Ramban's commentary on Bereshit. In the new editions, which is really like the original, it's the first paragraph, the introduction, to Sefer Shemot essentially what he's saying is that there's a link between Shemot and Beresh and that's the Avot the Avot are the Merkava and therefore Gulah doesn't take place until we have a Mishkan because the Mishkan that we have eventually, essentially takes us back to this point of the Avot who, what do the Avot do they connect heaven and earth what does the Mishkan do it connects heaven and earth what is the, ultimately the goal over here is bring a little bit more heaven down over here to earth which means you live in a physical world and it's the world that we want spirituality all of this, on a certain sense, you say, hold it, I didn't see that coming. I don't know how we got there. So that's what I tried to show you from the beginning. You no, know, it may be a little more predictable than we actually paid attention to. Because we ended parashat mishpatim with various people climbing to various levels, and Moshe climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing. And we eventually get to this point that there are various visions that are being seen. Who's having visions? Well, various people are seeing visions over there. We actually noted along the way that all the way back by splitting of the sea, they saw what Yeheskel saw. Well, Yeheskel actually sees the Merkava and he sees the Beit HaMikdash. And now how separated are those two things? The Merkava maybe goes back to the Bereshit manifestation and then you have the Mishkan or the Beit HaMikdash really being the Shemot manifestation and those things are not as separate as we may have imagined and that's why we go back to those verses and Rashi keeps pointing out, oh no, this also means the Beit HaMikdash, or this also means the Beit HaMikdash, because there is a Beit HaMikdash Shalala. We saw from the Yerushalmi that when we dive in, even if there's no Beit HaMikdash we dive into that place, why? Because it's really the same place, because the Beit I mean, even if you get, I didn't get into the argument, once the Beit HaMikdash is destroyed, is that place still holy? There is a Machloket about that, between the Rambam and the Rav, that doesn't concern me. Because what it's saying is, I don't care about the place below because the place below is connected to that place above. And the place above, that's what gets much more interesting. That place above is still functioning. That place is still functioning. So you have certain sadikim who try to see it, try to visualize it, try to connect to it, and they claim that they saw it. On the other hand, we see Toswit saying that God takes the souls of those who were killed and God says, look at these people, they died at Hashem. these people were involved in Kedushah in this world. It's time for you to bring down the Kedushah down to this world, which means people involved in Kedushah. Now there has to be repercussions of this. So essentially we have the Sar, the Malach, the Sar, Michael, Sar, Gadol, functioning as a Kohen Gadol. And now we see all over the world, we focus our Tefillah and they go up. And, wh- and what happens when the tefillah go up? So we have this malach as it were, because again, I, I told you from the beginning, I don't understand anything I'm talking about today. So you have this malach taking all those tefillot and presenting them in front of God. Look at all the Kedushah of Yisrael. Look at all the Kedushah. Look at all the holiness. Look how they're trying to have this connection with heaven. And essentially what we're praying to God is accept all the korbanot that were brought already. Accept all of those korbanot. Please accept them beratzon. That's what beratzon means. Have these korbanot shake and move heaven and earth. And what we're looking for is a Kaddish Baruch then to respond and then to bring that building, which is somehow a spiritual construct, bring it down, back down below.